Hey, 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 and welcome back to Thoughts from the 305. I'm your host, Angela Negra, and this week we're actually continuing our convo with another group of phenomenal, intelligent, and powerful AAPI women. I'm super excited for this conversation because I've wanted to share space with a specific demographic for a hot minute. Women who identify as South Asian and or and or South, South Asian descent. So without further ado, let's get to it. Please introduce yourselves to the audience. Let us know where your family hails from and how you make sense of your ethnic and racial identity. I'm Priya. Um, I was born in India. I was born in Calcutta, now known as Kolkata. Um, my father is from North Bihar. My father, my mother's from the South Madras. Um, we migrated to the States when I was two years old. Um, the United States had just opened up immigration to South Asians. Um, but we had to show at that time, you know, my parents had to show that they were educated and had value to the United States. Um, my father came um, a year before I came. And um, my mother is a PhD um, engineer. My father's a geologist. Um, when they came here, we migrated to the United States. And uh, my father drove taxi cabs for a living. Um, and my mother, you know, worked on Wall Street for a while. Um, and then later on, we moved to New Mexico where they had more professional jobs. Um, so <clears throat> I am a first generation American. I consider myself an American of Indian descent. I'm Ali. Um, I'm from Miami, Florida. I was born in New York. Um, my parents are from British Guyana and um, in South America next to Venezuela. And uh, my great-great-grandparents are from India. We think they're from Uttar Pradesh. My dad's side might be from Bihar. We're not sure. <laughs> um, so my parents, they were born and raised in Guyana, but they came over to Canada in the um, 70s and then they got married in the early 80s. And so then they went to uh, the United States through sponsorship through my grandma. Um, and then they got, they had me <laughs> in Long Island. And then um, my dad is an IT consultant. So he um, ended up getting a job in Miami um, as a transfer. And so he was like, hey, let's just go down to Miami and raise our kid. <laughs> and um, I'm an only child, so kind of a little spoiled baby. But um, so, yeah, so we we went to Miami and I've been raised there. I might have I might as well have been born there. Um, and I'm a proud Miami Dade um, person. Uh, that's how I know Andy. And yeah, go Cavs. <laughs> I just sneak that in there. You do look Bihari. I see that in you. Yes, thank you. And I, I kind of resonate with the Madras Bihar because you. I thought you were West Indian at first, but I didn't want to like. I can pass. Yes, yes. I can pass for anything. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Tarika. Um, I identify as second generation Indo-Caribbean. Um, Ali, I'm super excited that there's another Guyanese person in the conversation. Um, so my mom is from Trinidad and my dad is from Guyana and you know similar to um, Ali um, uh, my ancestors were from India and they were brought to the British Caribbean the British Caribbean um, during the colonial period as indentured laborers um, to replace um, enslaved black um, Africans after slavery was abolished in the British colonies so that's like the little history um, behind the Indo-Caribbean diaspora so yeah so I'm tr I, I would consider myself like truly Indo-Caribbean because my parents are from two different Caribbean nations so I'm not just Guyanese or Trinidadian um, and both of them and then I was born in the U.S. so my parents came to the Washington D.C. area in the late 80s um, and I was born in the Washington D.C. area and grew up there and then I moved to Miami for graduate school um, over five years ago now so um, yeah so that's my that's kind of who I am, where I come from. Um, as I was telling um, Andy when she asked me to participate in this conversation, she asked me like, "Do you identify South Asian?" And I said, "Yeah, sometimes." Um, so it's I, I feel like I have a bit of a complicated relationship to that identity, being Indo-Caribbean, and you know, being a descendant of indentured labor. But we can talk more about that. So, yes, yeah. yes, same same thing. That's what I had told her too. <laughs> on on that note, though please continue because yeah it's so indentured servant like yeah no i have no idea that that was a that happened so 
Let's expand on that. Whoa, 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 whoa. The British colonized all of us. Yeah. (laughs) Some of us stayed and some of us moved on. I mean, it's a unifying message among all of us brown and black people. That is wild. That is Yeah, I mean, I love, I think, I don't remember who said this, but there's this quote that, like, Columbus went to the Caribbean looking for India and then ironically because colonialism is just like this global thing that just like spans the entire world um Indians ended up coming to the Caribbean right because of British colonialism so it's like this strange irony that like it all comes around right that that is insane and I do want to call out the the Spanish because yeah my my family was colonized by the Spanish and they they don't always get called out on stuff but yes Spain Spain was up there as well and yeah so the European countries the The colonization of Europe by Europeans I mean and we I mean you you still see that as recently as World War II Mm -hmm. you know when they've colonized Palestine Mm -hmm. right I mean it continues and um, and we and we still think that's okay that that's happening. Like there's you know there's no huge outcries. Oh my God, you know brown people are getting kicked out of their homes. And that's the reason why it's not there's no huge outcry because it's there's a certain criteria that has not been met for outcry. And yeah, it, it's like you're talking about World War Two, and it's like wait, this is the 21st century, right? Where we're quote unquote woke, we're enlightened we're aware of the issues that are happening yet it's the 21st century right people were hoping for flying cars i was just hoping to be treated with some dignity and respect right that's that's so much to ask that that's asking for a lot um but oh y'all 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 started with a bang I'm, I'm my head is like already flying i'm like well what am i gonna ask and there's one you know just to begin you know i've been trying to be very thoughtful about this question because you know the language and when you unlearn relearn unlearn to relearn the other thing that you're trying to learn language is definitely something to play that's something that plays a huge role because you're also decolonizing the language that's being used you're decolonizing the root of language and it's just amazing how different terms and different words stem from the oppression and the struggle so you know there are multiple layers and ali and tariki you're talking about being indo-caribbean i've always been curious how are those dynamics because that yeah y'all definitely came with that hesitation like well but you know i you know but see what happened was and so like what like how how have you come to terms or have you come to terms with those extra layers of being from the caribbean but being indo-caribbean because you know i i talk about the you know intersectionality i talk about i'm a freaking black woman from spanish-speaking caribbean islands that's in itself enough to unpack so what has that journey been like for for y'all Go ahead, Tarika. I'm I'm curious because I think you and I probably would say very similar-ish things. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I just there's there's so much to say about that. I'm trying to think about how I can discuss this concisely. But yeah, I mean, it's not like being Indo-Caribbean is not just like Indian and Caribbean mash them together. Um, um, It's really about this entire just historical process of migration and um, the legacy of indentured labor, which really shaped um i think the indo-caribbean diaspora today um it's it's also about like how our i guess like our culture or or where we came from in india how that adapted and evolved and also hybridized with you know afro-caribbean culture and all the other influences that come to the caribbean and also i mean something that i really have um just like come to grasp and like really hold on to lately is that like the um indo-caribbean diaspora like we aren't a representation like a homogenous representation of india today like we came from very specific parts of india we brought specific languages um and not just hindi we brought like bojpuri and awadi and like other languages to the caribbean um and we brought our own um specific like um cultures and and like religious customs and ways of doing things and we also indo-caribbeans came to the caribbean before india was a country like before india was even a thing right so i think it just goes to show 
I don't know, like the diversity of diaspora, I guess, like South Asian, the South Asian diaspora is not a monolith. It's not a homogenous identity. Um, there are all these kind of untold stories of diaspora. Um, I mean, there are also Indian indentured laborers that went to like um, Fiji, Mauritius, and like the Pacific Islands, like other places, South Africa, like besides the Caribbean. And um, those are all part of the South Asian diaspora too. So um, yeah, so I mean, being in the Caribbean is really like, it's its own unique um, thing that can't really be accurately summarized as like Indian plus Caribbean. It's a lot more than that. I hope that sort of started to answer the question. Yeah, and just jumping off of that. Um, so in high school, when you knew me, I, you know, I was like the only Indo-American Guyanese person in our entire class. And I didn't really, there was nobody I could really identify with. And social media came out so i thought i was kind of weird for listening to like soca bollywood i used to hide it on my ipod you know in, in high school um and everybody just knew me because i'm of muslim descent I'm, I'm a practicing muslim so you know everybody would just knew that oh 9-11 you know whatever whatever and would just kind of make fun of me and i was like that brown girl in high school so I would just kind of play along with the whole narrative just so I wouldn't get made fun of. But deep down inside, it really annoyed me. It really irked me because nobody else was facing this. And so I started becoming ashamed of where I'm from high school. And then it started rolling into um, when I went to undergrad. So I went to an all women's college in, uh, in Massachusetts. And, um, and so it's the oldest women's college in the nation but it, it's honestly it was a great experience and I was so happy when I went because I met women from all walks of life and I mean even even my own fellow Guyanese even my own fellow Trinidadians however I didn't really meet a lot of Indo Guyanese women it was probably like one other one and then it was mostly Indian and Pakistani and so for me I wanted to become Indian so badly. I used to hang out with all of the Indian girls, all of the Pakistani girls, and they would kind of be like, you're not Daisy. Why, how do you consider yourself Daisy? And it used to annoy me, but I also never said anything because at the time when you're young, you didn't think of it as a microaggression. There was no word or a term to like say that that's something offensive. That's not something you should say to somebody else. And so I used to just kind of be like, oh yeah, you're right. But I know Bollywood music because, and they're like, how do you know all this stuff? And because it's part of our culture. This is how we grew up. This is how we are connected to, to our, um, you know, our parents' faith and, and culture and things like that. Because at the time the British outlawed all of these things. We didn't know, we couldn't speak um, Hindi. Even my, my mom could just read like Urdu, but that's it. Um, so we have to watch like all the Bollywood <laughs> movies in English subtitles and stuff like that. Um, so I, again, it, it was kind of reinstating this, this shame that I am ashamed to be Guyanese. I'm ashamed to be of Indo-Caribbean heritage. And then I went on to grad school and then trying to like kind of connect further with Indian people, like Indian folks. It was kind of like, you should lie and say that you're not, you know, you should lie and say that you're you're not Guyanese. You should say like you're Persian or something or, you know, because Guyana is kind of like this poor country and it's not really, you know, something, you know, to be proud of. And I was like, hold on here a second. Wait, what? Like, what? 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like really unfortunate. And so again, it just kind of furthered this shame along. And then as I started trying to put myself out there and you're trying to find love at a young age and like trying to get married because your mom is like, okay, it's time for you to get married. And then when you're trying to talk to the opposite gender who is like from India, Pakistan or Bangladesh, because you and your head are thinking I'm not good enough. Um, it again, they're like, oh, I can't, I can't talk to you. I can't oh, marry no. you because you don't understand my culture. You don't, you don't understand where we come from. You don't speak the language. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally got into dental school, actually, it was when I got into dental school. That's when I said, forget it. I'm proud to be Guyanese. 
and I'm I'm sick of like feeling this like internal shame. And so in my class, there were like three other um, Indian girls. I was the only, again, <laughs> Indo-Caribbean. And we don't have a lot of Indo-Caribbean kids pursuing sciences. And I would love to just kind of help and encourage other, um, you know, Indo-Caribbean kids like myself to pursue it. And, and so, yeah, I mean, these girls were kind of like looking down on me because they're like, how dare you? How did you get in here? You know, they wouldn't help me as much as they would with each other, sharing notes, things like that. So that's when I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I'm proud to be Guyanese. Like, I, I don't know if you remember this from my school, but I wear my little Guyana chain <laughs> around my neck and I'm just, I'm just proud of it. I, I just, it took, it's a long journey. Um, yes, I still identify as like Indian, like, but at the same time, I'm, I'm Guyanese. I'm a, I'm a Guyanese American. So yeah, it's a lot to unpack and it's, it's unfortunate, but like going back to our earlier conversation, I think, I think this new generation is becoming smarter. And I think with this social media, it's been, it's been so helpful. And I don't know how many of you guys have TikTok, but I love seeing Indo-Caribbean kids on TikTok because now I'm I'm identifying with it. I'm like, oh, I thought that was just me. I thought that I just listened to this type of music, like the chutney and, and the soca. I thought only my parents spoke like this. And so it's really nice to see and talk about these things. Even, even Indian kids, um, that are realizing that there's a whole new diaspora out there that like yeah we actually shouldn't be saying things like oh you're not daisy oh you're not enough like who who are they to judge how daisy we are you know what i mean so that that was kind of my launch feel can, can i jump in i want i want to say yeah, something yeah, yeah, this yeah, is fascinating yeah, no. this, just so you know i am not desi enough either if it makes you feel better. But real, real quick right. for the audience that don't know what Desi is, can we give the definition? The definition I've heard it, but I I want to hear the accurate definition of Desi. Please, 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 please. I mean, it's a person of Indian Pakistani descent. Boom. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, we I did not grow up culturally. I mean, you know, being first generation American, I grew up like in the in the cracks right on one foot here and one foot here um i speak hindi i can speak hindi like a native person but um those boys that rejected you they rejected me too because i didn't have blonde hair i wasn't white enough i wasn't all those things so like i hear you saying that and i i want to just hug you just so you know that like that that shit like that's so indian culture right and and you know even um when i think about it it's like i don't even want to go into like indians are the in my opinion like the biggest racist um um classes assholes in the world I'm, i'm just saying you know let's start with um the caste system it's the biggest racist and, and I tell you this, you know, I am a Brahmin class. So my now that 24 and me and all that shit came out, right? So here's how it works. Like our people went into Persia, into the Europeans, into Persia and came back in where those of the lower caste came back in through Africa, like, right? And so like, I grew up thinking, you know, my parents, oh, you're Brahmin, you, yeah, yeah, right? And like, now I say, I'm not that. I, I reject it. I am not that, but but you know that's my story because i grew up as an american like to me i can look back on that but i'm gonna just tell you indians and there's a certain kind of indian that is caught in that hole and and india will never succeed as a country until they remove out of that hole so i give you to my i feel so i hear you saying that and it breaks my heart because it's not about you it's Indians are assholes. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I feel like I I love that you say that because I feel like there's this kind of idea of like the ideal like normative Indian or the ideal Desi, right? And it's like the NRI, like the su- successful Hindu businessman or whatever. And I feel like that's what you're kind of getting at that like ideal subject. And 
there, and you're right, there's so many people in the South Asian diaspora that don't fit that mold and like never will. And um, yeah, and I think that's what Indo-Caribbeans feel too, is like, we're not that like prototypical, like Daisy, like that, like that perfect model minority Indian, right? And, um, but actually that is a, such an oppressive norm for like anyone in the diaspora. So it's so oppressive. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear it. So, um, you know, before we went on air, let me, I just mentioned my age, I am 53 years old and you, I, I think you guys are about, um, and she's two generations, two generations yeah. younger than me. Right. So I expected a lot of this to change, but it clearly, it hasn't changed. Um, but I think your generation, which my brother is of your generation, like I see you guys are, you know, changing the world and I'm happy to see that. But um, I'm really sorry about that. Let me just tell you, I've never been accepted either. Um, so I, I, I feel you and, and, you know, and like I've rejected a lot as well. Right. Um, so some of the things like I hear among uh, women, um, Indian, Indian women in the triathlon community. Right. So, um, um, what you don't know, Andy is for Indians, like our Olympics are spelling bee and science fair. And we're. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't want see, see I was talking about stereotypes and whatnot I you know I'm glad that you introduced that not me because I, I didn't want to ask questions I'm just like you know I yeah, was very so, happy you know so for us like I don't know about you guys but I was like I tried to run track in high school and my mom was like no no and she'd say things to me but you'll build muscle you'll do right so so I I have did, a very did, did you get that. Oh, but you're gonna get darker being in the sun for too long. Oh my God, so much, so much. But remember, I'm a Brahmin. I'm a Brahmin, so like that becomes even one more thing beyond that, right? Um, because remember how our people traveled and where dark and light skin comes from, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's racism. That is racism in action. That whole caste system is racism in action. I like. Blah, that's a whole other blah. anyway yeah. um so i have this whole you know this group of women indian indian or indian descent women um in the triathlon community and there's a small group of us and you know and um there's a few women who are actually in india who are of pro level and they ask them questions like um you know how do you spend money on this and don't save it or don't give it to your kids or spend time like it's so dumb i mean india is so backwards in so many ways it breaks my heart but it is also so forward in so many ways right so like how do you i you know i um it, it's really interesting so i and my family i married and divorced first one to marry and the first one to divorce um a, a white man Whew! I was gossip. It was so much gossip when I got married. <laughs> then my cousin, my cousin, a little bit younger than me, married a black woman. And then oh, I was oh, like, oh, oh. it was like that whole thing. I was totally off the hook after that. There's <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing else to talk about. Yeah, my, 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 my family, like, talk about race color, right? Talk about race. Okay, yeah. so my family, you know. Um, now it's really interesting now because all the uncles and aunties and all the now they'll say, Oh, we have such an international looking family, but it really was an issue to begin with, right? Because now my nephews and nieces are various colors and various kinds of people, and, and we are not uneducated, we are not ignorant, we are just racist. <laughs> and interesting because you know, I know. So in Guyana, there are very heavy, like, black versus mm -hmm. Indian race clashes. And so yeah. it's still prominent till today. Like, mm -hmm. you can't marry a black person. Marry somebody else, don't marry a black person. And, and it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. But then in Trinidad, I know you guys, I know it's more like one love, you know, kind of one nation, one people, right? But... But right. to me, what is fascinating is how you are able to grow up in a both Trinidadian and Guyanese household. Because in my being only Guyanese, it was 
don't marry this, don't marry that, da 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 da. You know what I mean? Well, so, the thing is, I mean, there is that narrative about Trinidad that it's all about like multiculturalism and they love their diversity and stuff. But there, there's the interethnic tension is there in Trinidad too. I think it's just not as explicit as in Guyana. And then Guyana has this like particular like political history where. Right. Um, like the political parties are divided along race lines and then there was like actual like violence that um yes. like violence that came up between um, blacks and indians um which the u.s you know helped along with their um uh, overseas intervention in guyana so they kind of like stoked those tensions intentionally so but in trinidad there, there's still those tensions i think they're just not as at the surface or as explicit um and yeah i think it's really it's like heartbreaking and fascinating to see how those kinds of um like the racial tensions between blacks and Indians, like somehow translates into the diaspora. Like we bring it over with us into the U.S. And there's so now there's anti-blackness among um, Indo-Caribbeans and South Asians, and it's like um, even though the context is very different than in the Caribbean, and like and also thinking about just like obviously like the Asian and Afro diasporas, like our histories are intertwined. Like they always have been because why were, why were Indians brought as indentured laborers to the Caribbean? It was because um, slavery was abolished. It was because they needed a replacement for um, the labor that um, um, black and slave people were doing. So like it's, they're so tightly intertwined. The fact that like colonialism and then like later, like political actions were able to create these divisions. Um, yeah yeah it's just really unfortunate but i do feel like the current generation at least i'm you know involved with and like know some indo-caribbean activists who are like actively thinking about anti-blackness and how do we dismantle that within ourselves and um it's still kind of in the early stages of that conversation but there are people who are like really committed to that that's awesome and i feel it's almost hypocritical for us as like this generation to even continue like what our parents kind of discuss because i mean we're we're brought up in the states like we're from miami like land of diverse <laughs> let's let's not let's not because miami is also the most diverse joint on this like come on you already know that one line separates there are many lines that separate many cultures we have many cultures represented in dade county but dade county right. you can map it out who lives yeah. where Miami's super diverse, but it is very segregated. So no, no, no. Yes. And I remember I got to deal with my own. Be honest, like it is, it is still a better place to grow up in because when I moved up here to Maine to practice, it was it's just one homogenous society. It's little, literally ninety four percent white, and so they don't quite understand. They just lump me in, like, oh, are you Indian? And I can't explain like the whole Indo Caribbean. Whatever, you know, I'm just like, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm brown. Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll go I with love, that. Um, one of the Indo-Caribbean activists who I love, she's like a storyteller too, she said, we're walking history textbooks, like Indo-Caribbean people, because to yes. explain where we're from and how we got there, you have to give a whole history lesson on colonialism and indenture, so. But yeah, let us, let us know who these, these activists are. Um, definitely drop yeah. names or whatnot if they're doing the work. Oh, we yeah. want to make sure that folks know what's, what's up, because um, I definitely, you know, we want to know who's doing the work and if there are ways that folks can learn from these folks or just like contribute to that work definitely 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 so if you want to drop yeah, names, yeah, drop I'm names. Sorry. i didn't want to cut off ali but um jihaji sisters is a really amazing organization based in new york city and they are an indo-caribbean organization that works for gender justice and they're also getting invested in um dismantling anti-blackness so that's the one i would mention nice 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 yeah no i <laughs> Oof, yeah, the, ooh, the, oh my gosh, there's, and I just want to say, fuck whoever says that y'all ain't good enough because you're not this, this, and the other, because, and, and I, I was listening to Ali's, you know, story, and I'm just like, what? Like, instantly, high school me wanted to go back and beat up every single person, and like, all these dudes that were acting a fool because she wasn't this, that, and I'm like, how? But then, you know, there's so many freaking overlapping um experiences and when you y'all mention the anti-blackness and the racism and the colorism within the indian community i'm just here like because eh, how <laughs> how how but i oh and i do like do you think that maybe the overlap and 
the knowledge of the similarities and the struggles are known and folks are trying to do the most to separate themselves from the struggles or is it just being no, no. it's called colonizer mentality okay yeah we all have all of us well, we all have colonizer mentality we have been taught for generation after generation is that those of us who look act and believe we are the colonizer that we are better than everyone else. So we climb over each other, we push each other, we do whatever we can to get to be closer to the colonizer. And that's the thing we have to stop doing. No, I the colonizer mentality. And I, like I call, you know, I have, I hate to go back to triathlon, but there's always these good examples. Um, there's this woman, um, recent immigrant, um, who's on my triathlon team. Um, you know, we have outdoor swim and she shows up in these, this long, you know, she's not Muslim. She shows up in this and I said, why? It's like 80 degrees. What are you doing? You know, like I can understand if it's a religious thing. It's not. And she said, well, the, I'm fair. Like, you know, like the sun will make me. And I'm like, look, you're in the, this is colonizer mentality. It is pure, and we've been, it's it's cellular. It's at a cellular level for us. And, you know, whether we're black, brown, green, whatever, you know, we need to get that, we need to flush it from ourselves. That's all it is. It's colonizer mentality. I had read, so on my like journey towards finding and accepting myself, um, it's interesting that you speak of the activists, the Indo-Caribbean activists, because I was just trying to like read up a bunch of like literature and I had read somewhere that um, the British had actually put this mentality in the Indians and Africans mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't collaborate together to go and rival up against the, the British people. So, and it's just still kind of permeated um, till today. And even even unfortunately like i know that there was a civil war back in the 70s in guyana and i i hear like the stories like my grandma and my mom you know and her friends that were part of it and, I, and growing up i just i didn't believe it i was like oh no because i didn't hear anybody else talking about it you know no, who's gonna go to the mosque and like talk about this or anywhere else that you go to so um it's like it oh sorry go ahead no no go go ahead you know it's it's, it's like it's interesting it's what you were saying. It's so ironic because you were saying like, oh, Guyana people would tell you Guyana is this poor little country. Nobody's heard of it. But then why did the U.S. think it was so important to intervene in Guyanese politics during the Cold War? Exactly. If it was such an unimportant little place, then why did they go in there and um, foster, like stoke those racial tensions and cause that civil war? Right. And yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's it's inherited from colonial times because the easiest way to colonize is to divide and conquer. Right. So if you have two different populations in the Caribbean, then um, pit them against each other and there you can still continue to manage them so yeah and it's astounding how you can you know and i just uh to thought that you know i thought you know either you were talking about you didn't you were hiding soca on your on your ipod and you were you know hiding different aspects of your identity in school i was trying to not be black in school that was you know the, yes. the struggle that i was going through and it's like dang if we would have had these conversations were back then imagine right. like we know we had to go through that journey because the journey was messy as hell but right. like how did you try not to be black like how do you i mean ooh, ooh. you're talking about like, you're talking about southern colonialism you're talking about yeah colonizer mentality i come from okay so i'm cuban and dominican so mm -hmm. the other side of the caribbean right I come from a very colorist Dominican family. I also come so Dade County, where the dominant narrative comes from uh, Cubans. However, comma it comes from white Cubans. Uh, Not many people it. like to admit, yeah, dark Cubans, dark skin Cubans. So if I were a lighter skin tone, if I could pass as, oh, you look Dominican, I may have had different, you know, views and values growing up. But because I came out dark skin and I don't quote unquote look latina i don't quote unquote look hispanic i don't fit in here there neat anywhere i did the most to be as latina as possible because my latinidad excused my blackness for years on end and then when i did that work i was like holy shit so everybody and their mother that every other person that i went to like that we went to high school with were adopting that colonizer mentality and 
as adults, yo, I've alienated so many freaking people because you call out, call them out on that bullshit, and it's like, um, so, hello, hello, we don't all look alike, and the people that stayed in Cuba that couldn't afford to come here, the majority of them look like me. So there's a disconnect, but the dominant narrative is being controlled by a specific group. So mm -hmm. that's that's where my journey went. It's interesting it's to hear that experience. I would have, you know, you I would have most. never, I would have never, because I would have, like, I would have been happy to be black in high school. I wish. Or <laughs> anything. Yeah, because, like, then there would be someone who looked like me or had a funny name like me or, you know, but whatever else. Though, but even that, even then, being like, oh, you're Spanish. The fuck what? When the hell? Yeah, no, I, I, get I, that. I get what you're <laughs> saying. You know what I mean? And so that it's being part of the African diaspora. You don't fit in column A or B. You're in the in between of the in between of the other in between, like y'all were saying. And that's when you when you were speaking of your experiences, I'm like, holy crap! These are my experiences. What the hell is going on? And so when the anti-blackness of it, you know, and I'm just like, what? Like you are literally. I'm going through a like 90% of this. Because you're too dark. Oh, why is your hair not relaxed? Oh, it needs to be straight enough. But you're too dark again. It's 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 mind-boggling. But the thing is, though, I didn't spend enough time with the Cuban side of my family, which they're all black. I spent more time with the Dominican side, which I am the darkest. And everybody else is like, regardless of the ethnic mixes that we have. Like I mentioned um, before we started, part I have of you know an extension of Indo-Caribbean, Jamaican, um, you know, family members, and then everybody else. There's mixtures across the board, but I am still the darkest, and that has been pointed out to me religiously. And you do the most not to stand out because blackness, dark skin is not celebrated being a dark-skinned woman is not celebrated it, i what i'm just i finally, celebrate you i, mean, I, I appreciate you. it i appreciate oh, so you're it age so much better than the rest of us hey i did not peak in high school i'm and i'm very proud of that but yeah no I mean, <laughs> it's like it's fascinating how i guess caribbean people are trying in different ways trying to distance themselves from blackness because i feel like that's the most part of I mean, some in in part, like you know, Indo-Caribbean striving to be more South Asian, striving to pretend that we're just South Asian and nothing else. It's like it's trying to avoid the Caribbean part of ourselves, which is inherently like black, also, right? Because like Afro-Caribbean culture is like the basis of the Caribbean, right? So it's like distancing ourselves from Caribbean culture, which is black culture. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's even yeah. in our food too. I mean, cook up rice. You know, we have pepper pot. Everything, all everything good. But I think that's. You know, instead of fighting this in between, where do we fit in this mold? I think that's the beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is what makes us who we are. And this is why we can literally get along with everybody from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, look at where you are, um, Andy, like from high school to now, right? And just coming into your own. And then even when I went to Maine for, for dental school, I would see like my fellow classmates who, again, 94 percent white always treat people from white backgrounds they can't really talk to somebody like the incoming somalian populations and iraqi um if and afghani um, refugees they can't talk to them they're super awkward yesterday i had a patient from um dominica and i had one of the the assistants kind of come up she's like oh my gosh like this is you know he's got a lot of problems and he's he doesn't have anything wrong it was just he needs an extraction like i was just like okay you know um whatever like <laughs> this is i mean i was totally like cool with it and in fact i broke out into my Guyanese accent and i just made him feel better i was literally like you know um hey where are you from boss like you know and he's he, he felt so much more comfortable and it it made my day <laughs> you know you can literally I, I i just again i think it's it's what makes us beautiful and having that um ability to navigate certain territories and, and it speaks to our resilience to keeping who we are alive you know yes we speak in a certain patois yes we speak we have certain hindi words that aren't um as i don't know from the motherland you know because i i know even with our surinamese um brothers and sisters they even kind of struggle with this too they can speak dutch but like the hindi that they speak is known as the country 
like backwards Hindi or something. And it's not, you know, it, it's just the resilience of, of maintaining that culture through the times, even, even in Fiji. Um, yeah, 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 I love like um, one of my uh, favorite Indo-Guyanese authors, actually, his name's Rajiv Mohavir, so recommend mm -hmm. um, reading his stuff. But he was he really reframes that language like we're taught in the Caribbean. They're like our English is broken, like the Hindi is broken, like all our language is broken. But he's like, what if we think of this as actually innovation? What if we're what we're doing with the language is actually innovating, not um, it's not a worse version. You know, it's actually creative and and new and different. So, yeah. That's really well said. Yeah, that's awesome. Nice, nice. And I do want to, and there's been, you know, we've been tapping in and out of that generation and the difference, differences and similarities in the struggles of our respective generations. And Priya, so you said something that was just really like, oh, that's cute. When your parents had to struggle, like they had to prove their their worth what was it or they that they were able to contribute their their like their um, contributions to the u.s yeah, so when they came here it's just an immigration thing so um asians were not um uh, the united states was not open to asian immigration until the late 60s early 70s um we were just not um you know we were just not one of the Desirables. You were yeah, desirables. desirables. Yeah. Um, but when um, JFK, JFK, this was one of JFK's proceed policies, um, opened it up, open immigration for Asian countries um, to come, you had to show that um, you could add value to the country, right? You couldn't just And this is like some of the proposals when you look at immigration and what's going on with it now, um, you know, that orange guy, like that was some of the stuff that he was promulgating right is if we're gonna let people in in immigration you have to prove your value to the country that's how my parents came in um this immigration system has been broken forever and a lifetime um but that's it i mean my parents had degrees they had stem degrees right but coming to the country like it didn't help them right there was no microsoft or amazon that they could get jobs at they still had to compete with um, the white people, right? And so it took them a while to find their footing. I mean, you know, Indians that come now, um, they don't they don't even understand, right? Because they come with jobs, they come, they come with good paying jobs, right? If you're in STEM and you come from Microsoft, you come from Amazon, you come from Google, you come from Facebook, whoever it is, they don't even get it, right? I mean, we were poor. We gr I grew up poor, poor, poor. Um, you know, um, we, I, I've been homeless, um, ate cans of corn for dinner. Like, so, you know, I, 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 from a generational perspective, it was just different. My father was a gypsy cab driver in New York. So in New York, if you want to be a cab driver, you have to pay for a license. He couldn't afford the license. So they call these gypsy cabs. They're like, basically they're illegal. Back in the day, like he would go and pick up a cab fare, JFK, LaGuardia, wherever, and, you know, people were showing up from India, from Africa, had no money in their pockets. And they would just, my father would just bring them home. They would stay with us because we had a place to stay. That's the way I grew up, right? That Because we were all immigrants. All of us brown people were immigrants. We were the first generation of non-slave, right? non-forced labor immigrants. Um, and that's how, you know, that's how we grew up. Like, people just showed up. My father said this person had nowhere to go and we just kept them. So, yeah. That's that's amazing. And so with that, what are your thoughts on, and for everybody, what are your thoughts on the, because the, y'all are kicking ass out there and y'all owning your career, you're owning your you know, academics and, and careers and you're doing the shit. What are your thoughts on the model, the model minority? Like, is there a, like a pressure to be? Is that a, is that a myth? Is it because you're talking about you were you're, you were living the struggle, being a brown like brown immigrants in the '60s and '70s in the U.S. So you were living in the shit. Let, but, let me. This the model minority is what white people say about us, so that they can say you're like white people. Like, that's the way they accept us. 
right? If you are, if you do these things, you look like us, you act like us, you do like, so let's go back to the colonizer mentality, right? So, um, you know, that's where that comes from. And then that, that relieves guilt, that relieves white guilt. Cause they'll say, we accept you, but that's cause you're like us. My ex-husband, I'm going to say this too. I didn't understand this till years later, but my ex-husband would say to me, you don't even look Indian, you look white. And I didn't even understand till years later. You're right, exactly. I didn't even understand how negative that connotation was. So I think that's what model minority, that's all, that's what it's about. And do, did, did, well, I felt pressure from my parents, not from other folks, but you know, like in my house, I, and I hate to say this out loud, but like, you know, I grew up in a household where if you don't have a master's degree, you are considered retarded to be blunt about it. And, um, you know, I don't have that pressure from outside, but I definitely had it from inside. Um, I, and but I think younger gen, I think the younger, I, I don't have that pressure on my kids, so I'm not quite sure how that's passed on through generations. Yeah, um, I was just gonna say the model minority myth. It's it's a tool of white supremacy, right? Mm -hmm. To get um, minority um, to pit different groups of people of color against each other, right? Because the idea behind the model minority is that we're supposed to be able to point to Asian Americans, South Asians and say, look how successful you mm -hmm. are. And then they use that against black Americans, Americans to say, why can't you be like that? Right. So it's, it goes, it really is like directly in line with what we're talking about with the colonizer mentality and that divide and conquer strategy, like the same thing that um, colonizers were doing in the Caribbean between blacks and Indians. I, it's just like another manifestation of that the model minority because it is, it is intended to pit um, minority groups against each other. Right. Instead of, instead of illuminating how much we actually work in solidarity and how much how many interconnections there are between um those groups and i feel like it's i don't know at the same time like so obviously model minority myth it's a tool of white supremacy but i also feel like i have to acknowledge the ways that i have benefited from certain privileges from being included in the model minority right so it's like when i go to school my teachers all look at me and they assume like well, that's, she looks like a South Asian. She's probably smart. Like we're going to give her the resources. We're going to pay attention to her. Right. And like, so there are ways that you, Damn. that we have to kind of acknowledge the ways we benefit from that myth, even though it's so um, damaging. And I think for Indo-Caribbeans, there's also this weird thing of like, yes, we can benefit from certain privileges of being seen as a model minority, but also we don't really fit into the model minority mode. Um, because as Indo-Caribbeans, you know, we were indentured laborers, right? Um, we, a lot of Indo-Caribbeans come to the U.S. as undocumented um, working class folks, right? Um, so, yeah, that's, I, I see kind of the intersections there. Yeah. I, I did not get that model minority, like, I'm too old right. for that. I did not, that did not flow right. down to me. Um, in fact, oftentimes, I still am the only woman and um, person of color in a room. Um, and in my in my education, until I went to law school, that was probably true. Um, but all of us brown people were lumped together. There was not that. Yeah. There was not that thing. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Even it, I think like even um, and you all raise really good points, and it's just now kind of bringing to mind the whole even struggle of being a person of color. Uh, even going through graduate school and like this is underlying systemic racism that you have to get to to be who you are so like oh that person's a doctor but nobody talks about you know the struggle of that person getting there to that point like for me I I had to endure a lot of underlying racism in fact even in my own dental school I had to report a faculty for uh, systemic racism which <laughs> I never thought I'd ever have to do. Again, Maine is a very old white mm -hmm. state and there's a lot of, you know, underlying racism that is here that they have classes on cultural competency. And I'm like, I'm, like, I'm from Miami, I don't need, I'm Indo-Caribbean, I don't need a lesson on cultural competency. Like, are you kidding me right now? We all, and then, need, and then I, we all need a class on but, cultural competency. Come to find out, yes exactly we all do and and it was it was shocking and um and so again i felt like this 
weird pressure, maybe partly because I put on myself to outperform 10 times better than my Caucasian counterparts. But then at the same time, I felt for my Afro black, you know, brothers and sisters, even my African Jamaican friends, because they would still look, get looked down upon by faculty versus me. It's like, okay, you're South Asian, like you should know this or whatever. So I think that is another probably different conversation that we can have eventually. <laughs> but yeah, the, the yeah. academy is full of like a lot of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I yeah the the pressure, the anxiety. I love seeing the you know the the small numbers when it comes to black women who have a PhD. It's it's all like okay compared to everybody. Oh, great! Why is that? You know, it's <laughs> like it it needs to it needs to expand. And my class was so there was a lot of white Caucasian kids that they mostly accepted. It was probably my, I had like 64 students in my class. That's what they had. And it was like maybe 13 minority, which by the way, when was the last time you've ever heard the word colored being thrown around? Never. I, until I came to this state, that's when I heard the word colored being thrown around just casually. Oh. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and so after my class, um, which I just graduated this year, that is when they started accepting more kids from diverse um, populations and minority groups. Sans and in fact, the colored. Sans the yes. colored. Okay. That's... Yes. <laughs> and I even had a classmate who, Portland by itself isn't, it's, it's like a small city, nice little hipster city, you know, an hour and a half outside of Boston. But I had a classmate and she's, you know, white Caucasian and um, very well off and she would say oh, Portland is too diverse for me like I just can't even with this and she was known for saying these incredibly racist things and I'm like you're going to be a provider a healthcare provider you're in charge of somebody's health you know in the future was she an anti-vaxxer too is she an anti-vaxxer <laughs> <laughs> she probably was because her, her family is like so small like in wherever they're um, but and it this was is just, why black people got problems with the the medical profession <laughs> if you didn't know but like at, at a at a such a high level of education this is still happening i mean it's it's shocking it's shocking and yet they bring in the minority students thinking that they'll stay and cover the shortage of providers up here but they don't make it a safe environment for us to stay or we don't feel motivated enough to stay like we're just staying out of to pay like back our loans and stuff because you know we have to think about that but otherwise you know it's it's not a very conducive place to stay if we're people of color <laughs> so yeah and uh, you know and i i, I keep and oh my gosh <laughs> sorry I just, no, no, I, I, you know i went to I, I for a semester i was up at, at umass dartmouth and yeah the percentages i've had the and it was i can do consider it a privilege to being outside of miami and being in a different location and you know arming myself with the tools that i needed to prepare myself for what the rest of the United States looks like because let me tell you some people in Miami um, they need that wake-up call cuz they live in they live in an oasis over here but you know we keep and even I you know in this conversation we keep using we've been minoritized we've been placed in the margins and I'm still you know it's something that I've been trained because this this especially this academic journey has been just a whirlwind thinking about just how many freaking people just think about how many how many people like are indian on this planet it's in the billions right it's in the billions then why the fuck are we still calling you like why are you still a minority <laughs> That's a good not. I mean, we've taken over Microsoft, our CEO, Microsoft CEOs, Pepsi CEO. Um, there's a couple of more companies where Indians are, you know, especially in the business and STEM fields are really accelerating. You know, look at our vice president. That is true. That is very. I don't like her politics are a little conservative. Yeah, she's, for she's, me, no, but... she's 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 dropping ball plenty of time. But yeah, no, that is very true. That is, she's Trini, right? She's have she's have Trini. 
of the um, I think one of her parents Indo, is, but she's in, yeah, Indo-Caribbean though. Yeah, her, her, her mm-hmm. Afro-Jamaican, and one is um, I think Tamil, like South Indian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's South Indian. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that's yeah. amazing. I mean, but look, look at I mean, you know, it's um, I, I think that um, times are changing, but um, you know, you know, we're bouncing a lot of stuff. What is our heritage? Let me ask you this question, because as you guys are talking, here's what I'm thinking of. Like, why do we even talk about it that way? Like, you know, my sons who are, you know, um, born Americans, Mm -hmm. whose father is, you know, whatever. And then me, you know, like my younger son, he really uh, relates to being Indian. He wants Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, you are half white. Like, you know, like at some point, you know, we just, I feel like, and I'm guilty of this as too, but as I'm, as you guys are talking, like, I think about this is why do we care anymore? You know, like, why do we continue to segregate ourselves or celebrate or not celebrate ourselves according to these genetic and false barriers, right? I mean, it's what why do we keep talking about this i mean why aren't we black and brown you know and eventually you know they're we're gonna just interbreed with everyone's gonna be something i mean why i mean is and that no no it's, like, it's, that just weird to think about it it's, that way? it's not it's not weird and it's definitely been a question that has been posed because like even just recently we learned about the whole not even learned because you know race is skin deep just like oh hey folks that were darker folks that were black were closer to the equator everybody else you know they were in colder locations were lighter skinned done and done and a lot even in that conversation is just and I, one article that I think of, um, I, gosh, and I forget, it's um, it's uh, Stacey Abrams and a few other folks' argument against uh, Fukuyama's um, position on utilizing identity politics um a concept that was you know created by I'm pretty sure a black woman if I'm not mistaken, but I think that there's still so much work. That needs to be done because you know we were talking about earlier colonizers stole our languages mm-hmm. stole our culture and even just now some folks are able to get those back so and and i and it's somebody just reminded me that this time is being called the reckoning and it's it's been an insane time but i mean it's I think because it's a- of the virus it forced us to be still and listen um so like i want to say one more thing too here is because culturally i'm not indian culturally i'm an american culturally i am an american if you drop me in india like i would be an outcast i'm serious about this right so i mean i speak hindi um i'm a hindu i culturally a hindu you know i do some things hindu like i'm a vegetarian You know, like I do some Hindu like things, but I'm an American. I mean, I, yeah, I I really like that you brought up that question because actually, this is like basically the question that my dissertation is grappling with. So, I'm a PhD student, like Andy said, and I'm trying to think about like Indo Caribbean identity beyond as like beyond an ethnic group. What if we think of it as a political identity? And that's kind of where I'm getting to is the idea that like, okay, we're not particularly how like some Indo-Caribbeans identify with their culture. Some don't, some are Hindu, some are Muslim, some are nothing, none of the above. Like some really um, like embrace their like Indian origins and their roots and others, not so much. Right. And especially for my generation, like you're saying, like I was born in America. I've never lived in the Caribbean. I've never lived in India either. And I, I mean, what I'm arriving at is thinking that like, okay, what if we think about this as like a, po- a political identity more than like a racial or ethnic one? And that takes me back to like the ter- where the term Asian American comes from in the first place, right? Like it originates in political movements. Like the term Asian American was coined by like some student activists at um, UC Berkeley in the 1960s, right? So like there were no Asian Americans before that. They were just these different ethnic groups, but then they decided we're going to use this um you know claim the power of identity as a political movement right and um and they saw just like more power in uniting than in remaining like 
distinct little ethnic groups like the identity politics right so i don't know that's that's kind of my response to what you're saying i, I really do feel like we're kind of moving beyond thinking about us, ourselves as like these like racial groups and what if we thought about it more expansively as like as like a political identity instead so i i don't believe in race i mean scientifically race is right. an old white concept right that's another thing they use <laughs> right so i don't believe in race um racial I don't capitalism, do race. racial capitalism yeah i don't do race i do believe i mean there is a thing culture and ethnicity I mean, I, you know, I think those are wholly different things because race is really a STEM, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, a STEM term, right? And which has now been disproven for a, a millennia. So I think we need to start there. We're just, we're all of the same race. We're of the human race. I think this is great. Even just like having this conversation and exposing more people together you know, I mean, before this, I had no idea you guys, you know, were, were here and, and I would love to continue even our friendship after this. Um, and again, I, I just, you brought me back, uh, Priya, because I remember my mentor, he was the same. He um, was the former CIO of a corporation and he mentored me a lot. And, and just if we can all kind of come together, even just helping the younger generation mm -hmm. get into these fields. I mean, he was honestly the person who inspired me to apply to grad school. I was deathly scared of like applying for a master's program. And he said, what's the worst that can happen? Honestly, a mediocre plan that is executed is better than having this awesome plan in your head and not being executed at all. And that just kind of lit a fire under my butt and just got me to apply. And so just having these, you know, likeness, everybody in their own circle just mentoring each other i think we can start to progress together as a society because that's what i've seen even up here in maine that they that the caucasian society they mentor their kids at a young age even at this level they're like son you know i'll connect you with so and so and so and so and we don't do that we are competing against one another oh you see how much house they have you see what kind of car they got you know it, it's it's ridiculous so I think we really need to just find it within ourselves and in order for our, um, instead of the, keeping up with the Joneses, just really getting each other motivated and focused and looking out for the next generation. And it's okay to interbreed, <laughs> you know, for the next generation. It, that's where the world's going. Global citizens for a reason, you know? Yeah. So. No, yeah. And don't, don't let the alt-right hear you that, say that. It's like, oh my gosh, the cleansing of the races. But yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's and you know to that point again it's just there's still so i and i agree i have because it's it's exhausting as hell my identity and y'all y'all have explained the exhausting crazy bullshit you've had to go through because people are living ass backwards it is very exhausting um and i do agree collective action collaboration the youth are a future is the only way that we're really gonna get you know fix rectify whatever the hell is going on right now because i do think that we are we're on the brink of something i just know what i don't know if it's the aliens are coming i don't know what's happening i don't know if it's just the me tripping over the fact that i'm completing my 33rd revolution around this damn sun i don't know what it is i don't know what it, is. It, could, it could be a lot it could be a little paranoid but i oh my gosh y'all this <laughs> It's, it's, I'm going to say I give a lot of, I mean, um, the virus has been difficult for the whole world, but it really has forced us this year to stand still and to think and to spend time. And I don't think the social justice things that have happened this year could have happened at any other mm -hmm. time. I think it was the intersection of us all sitting in front of the TV or whatever and really like grasping at what is going on in the world. Yeah, I think even with the whole George Floyd thing, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we heard about this, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter many years ago, but how many of us actually sat and paid attention until now? And now we're having these kinds of conversations and we're feeling comfortable about it. I, I think this is what needs to continue to happen um, and step outside of our comfort zone to, to progress. Yes, yes. No, I agree. I agree because, yeah, Trayvon was definitely something that <laughs> to this day is just like, you know, just 
reading stories on George Zimmerman selling memorabilia to to Nazis is just like, oh, but he got away with murder and greed. But yeah, no, I do think that the the pandemic gave you know people had to sit and watch and sit and watch and marinate in their own uncomfortableness mm-hmm. and and that was that was very much needed that was very much needed and i hope that we can continue having these conversations that we can continue s- sitting at the same tables because i yeah i love sharing spaces with folks outside of my race outside of my ethnicity outside of my academic field whatever because i don't know everything and i think a lot of people need to admit that it's okay to sit with people outside of your context like we we're here talking about shared struggles similar struggles and it's um like what could happen when folks realize that we're more similar than we are different that i'm waiting for that day i'm really waiting for that day and oh man y'all give me so much to think about i'm really motivated to have an indo-caribbean uh, episode because yeah, we got we got a lot of but we got a lot unpacked there. We got a lot unpacked there. Maybe we go carnival afterwards. But yes, that is it for a conversation. Oh my gosh, y'all don't know. I, I don't know how I'm gonna top this conversation. I really don't. Um, I appreciate y'all so freaking much. This has been an amazing space, an amazing conversation. I appreciate y'all so so much thank you thank you thank you for sharing this space as always this is thoughts from the 305 i'm your host and la negra take it easy